This is The World in 10, global stories told with the insight and expertise of the Times of London. Hello, I'm Stuart Willey. Today, as one state ceases to exist, where its people are now heading. Plus, how to avoid embarrassing errors on Zoom calls, and we reveal what airline crew get up to off the plane. We talked earlier in the week about Nagorno-Karabakh here on The World in 10. For 30 years, there's been conflict over this breakaway territory. It's about the size of Rhode Island, the people there, ethnic Armenians. But the world saw it as part of surrounding Azerbaijan, didn't recognize what the locals called it, the Republic of Artsakh. But now that country has ceased to exist, with a decree signed this week dissolving the state institutions after that Azeri military victory. And the people who lived there, they're on the move. It's a mass exodus, battered Soviet cars, people clutching plastic bags of their belongings. They fear ethnic cleansing and persecution. Local journalist Sirinush Sagesian is stuck in a massive traffic jam of people fleeing to Armenia. We're still uh, stuck in a road. Uh, this exodus is unbearable, not only because of psychologically, as many people here they are becoming refugee already third time in their life. But this oxytocin, it's also unbearable, uh, just literally physically, because we already um, 60 hours spent in this road and we still pass uh, approximately 28 um, kilometer. And uh, it seems like even during 24 hours, we can reach border. The UN says more than 100,000 have already crossed the border, 80% of the population. They're saying these people need immediate assistance and international help. Armenia is asking the European Union for temporary shelter and medical supplies for those refugees as winter approaches. With a Times digital subscription, you can learn much more about this story today, a piece explaining how the war in Ukraine has contributed to the chaos here and how this volatile region between Russia, Turkey and Iran could be even more destabilised. Full details at our website, thetimes.co.uk. This week is Banned Books Week, as the American Library Association, which organises it, sees unprecedented attempts to ban books. And while we often think of Florida, Texas or Missouri as the home of this sort of thing, it's also happening overseas. In Hungary, a law prohibits books on gender and sexuality being marketed or even displayed to children. On the Times app or website, you can read about the crackdown on inappropriate books. Some bookstores ban under-18s from the whole store. Others wrap books in plastic or foil. Unclear drafting means even Harry Potter books have been seen wrapped in plastic. One author told the Times seeing his book wrapped up was dystopian, but he said at least it was still on sale for now. The behaviour of airline crew has been in the spotlight this week, with news that a British Airways pilot was fired after boasting to a colleague about a drug-fuelled night of debauchery in Johannesburg. That colleague told the company the pilot was suspended just before the 12-hour flight from South Africa to London, the passengers delayed by a full day. 
That story caught the attention of Times writer Helen Rumbelow, who wanted to find out, is working for the airlines all glamour and hard partying? There was a culture of picking someone's hotel room, so all all of these flight and cabin crew would stay in the same hotel, typically. Someone's hotel room, and then... People did often say to me, you know, this is this is going back away. So this is actually not actually possible now. But there was a lot of kind of sneaking of alcohol off the plane. Yeah. And I think there was, um, you know, an element of this slightly unhealthy or lonely lifestyle that's inherent to the, you know, anyone that works in the airline industry when they're traveling to faraway places and they're staying in hotels and they don't actually really have a lot to do there. So there was a lot of temptation really just to party the night away. Good news for the nervous flyers among us. That party era has disappeared over the last 20 years with the introduction of stricter regulations. Aircraft now have random checks known as ramp inspections and at least in Britain and Europe, pilots and flight attendants take an alcohol test. The US has its own tests as well. Alongside this, many airlines conduct their own random tests. Of course, pilots like the one we heard about this week might slip through the cracks. But back in the party days, fewer people were willing to report their hungover colleagues. Helen says that's changed. These kind of random tests can't actually make up for a corporate culture where people are responsible and they will police each other. So in actual fact, this British Airways story kind of shows a culture in which something's being done right because the colleague felt obliged or empowered to speak up against a pilot. You know, you might think is a difficult thing to do. So that is actually, in a way, a British Airways success story. So while intoxicated pilots may be a thing of the past, after reading Helen's article on the Times website, I wouldn't blame you for wanting to say yes to a stronger drink next time you're up in the air. Unless, of course, you're in the cockpit. If that glimpse behind the curtain of our big airlines has got you thinking, maybe my next business meeting should be on a video call rather than in person, then this next topic is for you. Video meetings on Zoom or Teams came to prominence during the pandemic era as work, school and even dating went online. And that upended some of the norms we've relied on for decades. One of the norms that wasn't upended was how to make a good first impression at a job interview. Wear clothing that's appropriate, smile and research your employer. There's one exception, though. Your background. What's going on behind you? I learned pretty early on not to leave piles of unfolded laundry there. The Times' science correspondent Rhys Blakely has been looking at new research on how important what's happening behind us on a Zoom call is. He sat down with my colleague, Amy Gill. Hi, Rhys. Welcome to The World in 10. Thank you so much for joining us. So tell us, what is the best background to have during a Zoom interview? So the message really, I think, is that if you want to be perceived as being trustworthy and competent, it's probably better to choose a background uh, that either has a a bookcase, uh, you know, a well-stocked bookcase behind you or a kind of an array of healthy looking houseplants. Those are the backdrops that scored most highly in the test. Uh, The blank wall and the pictures of the living room are kind of in the middle. And uh, it was really striking that the the, the walrus image, this novelty image, uh, that scored the worst uh, by quite a way. I think most people can agree the most nerve-wracking thing about interviews is making that all-important first impression. In your piece, you talk about the research of first impressions. Now, how important are they actually? So first impressions do seem to, to matter. People do seem to make snap judgments about quite sort of profound 
aspects of people's character in you know a matter of seconds and people seem to be quite reluctant i suppose maybe maybe without sort of them thinking about it too much but reluctant to abandoned their 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 first impressions once they made them and that that might be because we're sort of a little bit reluctant to admit that we're we're wrong mm. and i suppose that zoom backgrounds is just another part of that yeah i think so i mean if you look at you sort of think about a zoom call you know you, you tend to see a person's head and shoulders uh you don't sort of maybe you don't get a chance to sort of check that their that their suit is properly kind of pressed as you might do in a traditional interview and and the majority of the screen is the background i guess it's i guess it's no surprise on one level you know when we got used to sort of seeing politicians giving uh interviews on zoom during the pandemic i mean we we're all sort of scrutinizing their bookcases and things like that in the background weren't we they sort of you know the clues that uh, uh you know a, a person's environment you know the place where they choose to live say thank you again for speaking to us reese and for our listeners to help you prepare for your next interview check out reese's article where you'll see the pictures of all those zoom backgrounds Endurance sports are tough, even for the greatest athletes. But in the early hours of this weekend, one gold medal winning Paralympian and five novice swimmers managed to cross the channel, the 21 miles of busy shipping lane between England and France. Ellis Tai, who uses a prosthetic leg, led the relay group, which included another amputee and two people who learned to swim as part of the challenge. Ellis told us it was a great result. Eight hours, 49 minutes and 25 seconds. So everyone really stepped up. Even though the there were three of us, we were getting really seasick at the start. There was a point where we were all thinking, this is, this is awful, we're not going to make it. But as soon as everyone got in the water, it was fine. And we did an amazing time. And I'm so proud to, to have completed it with them and to have been on the team. An amazing achievement to end this edition of The World in 10. There's much more from us tomorrow.